0: Grace, mercy, and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We are going to talk about fighting. I think back to the first time I was ever afraid of having to fight. I was 9 or 10 years old. My parents let me go to wall camp in Kingston, Illinois, to the mash camp. Somehow they got extra money for having to sleep on a cot in a tent because I loved the movie or the TV show MASH, and I thought that'd be so cool. Thinking back, what a crock. How cheap was that, right? They got my money. I went to MASH camp. And one of the things we got to do was was tubing down the river. And here's a bunch of 9- and 10-year-olds with a pre-sem guy. I remember he was in college, pre-seminary. He was our leader, really neat guy. And there were some big kids probably high schoolers over on the side of the bank throwing these huge rocks into the water i remember we're looking at them and it was a little scary are they going to keep throwing rocks when we pass i remember the words of this counselor guys be ready to protect yourselves (laughs) what are we going to do we're in water i'm not going to dodge the rocks right i was scared Sure enough, these guys on the side of the bank saw us coming, and they stopped. And we went by, and there was nothing to fear. But at that time, when he said, "Be ready to to defend yourselves," and I'm thinking, "I'm not ready for this. That's your job. Protect me, right?" The other time where I almost was in a fight, waiting tables in college. A lot of you might know in 1996 the Nebraska Cornhuskers were coming off back-to-back state champions. They hadn't lost in years. It's early in the 96 season and they're playing Arizona State and there's only one channel in the city of Seward that showed the game, Fox Sports, and we had it at the sports bar. And I think the entire town of Seward and 5,000 tried to cram into our sports bar that night. So did three students from the college who were from Arizona wearing their Arizona State stuff. If any of you are familiar with college football, you know Arizona State trounced Nebraska that night. It was the first loss in years and the state of Nebraska does not handle, well back then they didn't handle losing very well. They're used to it now, but, but back then that was a big deal. And sure enough, the guys at the bar were getting excited and a couple of the gentlemen from Seward were not happy with that. And I don't know what led me to do it, but as two of them were going face to face, I remember stepping between them. I don't know what I said, Probably something to affect of, Gentlemen, is this worth fighting for? How about another beer? I don't know what I said, but I just remember being so afraid I was going to get hit. 46, and I've yet to be in a fight, and I hit somebody or to get hit. But it's this fighting. We certainly know we fight. We fight with words. We fight with meanings. We have things that we're worth fighting for, and that's what I see in today's lesson and Isaiah. We all want the cute story this time of year about the baby Jesus being born in a manger, surrounded by animals, and visited by the shepherds. But Isaiah speaks to the purpose of why God sends his son into the world. He's coming with a vengeance. And he came to fight for you and for me. So first, before we get into the coming with vengeance, I want to talk about What was God's purpose for sending his son here, right? I think there are four main reasons as I look through scripture that God purposely decided to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world as a human. The first one comes from the most popular verse we all know, right? The Gospel in a nutshell, John 3.16. And I actually want to read 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world... But in order that the world might be saved through him, pretty good purpose for sending your son, right? Save the world. He loved him. Wants to save him. All people. Second reason is to reveal who God is. Romans one twenty. For this invisible attribute, for his invisible attributes, <laughs> namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. From the beginning of the world, this was the purpose. Now I also want to read, I think this actually says it better, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, for whom, uh, whom also he created the world. Jesus reveals God. Certainly God revealed himself in the Old Testament, but how do we know God through his Son? Third one, to defeat sin, death, and the devil. You hear this every Sunday. Hopefully, Pastor Jeff and I hammer this one home. Why did Jesus come? Defeat sin, death, and the devil. Thank you for defeating sin, death, and the devil. You probably hear that phrase. We see it in 1 John 3 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I know it sounds cliche, the devil made me do it, and yet we are tempted. The devil is working hard. The fact you're all in these seats today in this church to worship the Lord puts a target on your back. He doesn't like you. Luckily, Jesus is working on our side. The fourth one is an example for you and for me. Why did Jesus get sent into this crummy world to have to sweat, to feel pain, to die. Again, we go to 1 John 2.6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He is the example. The the old cliche, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's cute. Well, Jesus would die for all people. We're not gonna do that, right? But he certainly set the example of how to pray how to act, how to love. Jesus showed us how to love the unlovable. I think of how Jesus handled the woman at the well, and I think, why am I so nasty sometimes to people who are hurting outside these walls? My own personal fear and bias? Jesus came to the world for a purpose. Let's talk about what it means, knowing the why, these reasons... I want to go to verse 4 of the epistle today. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. He's coming to fight for us, right? Where is his vengeance targeted? Is it the devil? Think about what he is coming to do. He knows. He defeated the devil, and all the devil has left is to bring as many of us down with him as possible. He's coming to fight for us. He did come with a vengeance. It is a battle. We hear eight different times in Luke, you know, we need not fear. But if you're trying to do the fighting, you should probably fear. You can't win. If you're trying to do the work, you will lose. Not one of us can defeat the devil. He has power we don't have. This isn't a Rocky movie where we can train really hard and overcome. You can't win. You have to trust the Lord to do the work for you because he did as has been done. As he takes care of us. I want to read. Romans twelve nineteen to 21. Behold never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary if your enemy is hungry. Feed him if he is thirsty give him some to drink. For by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. God sent Jesus. He's coming with a vengeance to do the work for us. We simply need to love. Who would have thought the best way we can fight is with love? The best way we can protect ourselves is to love others. The best way in which we can make sure we are in line with the Lord, yoked with him, is to share this wonderful message of love and salvation. Who would have thought fighting with love? So fear not. Fear not. I want to get back to our epistle into verse 8. And the highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. How many of you, does that make feel good? Even if we're fools. As long as we're walking with him. I like that verse. I read that and I thought, yo, thank you, Lord. Because we all say and do foolish things. We're sinners. We struggle. That is the way of holiness. Making sure we're following him on that narrow road. Not following the path that leads to destruction. And in verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing... Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and signs shall flee away. Right? Everlasting joy shall be upon our heads. That's the crown of life. That's the crown of righteousness. Today, after late service, we're going to have a, just a little memorial for Billy McDonald. If you knew Billy, Billy loved to praise his Lord by eating. Billy didn't miss a Wednesday night meal. Billy wouldn't miss a buffet. He liked to, to be in fellowship with the Kinskys when they were feeding him. But Billy loved his Lord. And we get to sit here and remind everybody that comes Billy's with the Lord because he made it clear. Everlasting joy shall be upon his heads, upon our heads. Isaiah makes it very clear. And here's the best thing. So many times in life, when we're growing up, when we're in high school, when we're in college, when we're fighting for jobs, in order to lift ourselves up, we try to be better than the people next to us. It's our human nature to want to be better, isn't it? It's our human nature to want more than the people next to us. It's our human nature to try to be further up on whatever ladder we visit. When it comes to the Lord, you will never be the last one picked. We get that idea of PE class or in the playground where they're picking sides. Oh no, don't pick me last, right? So I'm reading through this, that sorrow, our gladness and joy will be ours, will be upon our heads. The Lord looks at every single one of us. And he says, I want you. It's kind of like that, that... Army slogan, right? I want you. And we got to remember he doesn't just say it in church. Out in that street corner, that person we're looking at like, really? You can't find anywhere else to get help? God wants him. The people underneath the overpass struggling, God wants him. That nasty neighbor that used to live across the street from me, God actually wants him too. We have to remember that. The fight is not ours. That baby coming into the world was for a purpose, to fight for us. And the great thing is we already saw it. It's done. He's done it. We're his. We could celebrate this Christmas knowing we already know how it ends. What we don't know is how many can we bring with us. Isaiah foretells the coming of Jesus by pointing directly to the why why he is coming, and what he is going to do. Thank you, God, for sending your son to love us, protect us, save us, and eventually bring us home. To God be the glory. Amen.